0: grew up loosely attending a Catholic church, but his love for science and his razor-sharp wit regularly put him at odds with his church and his church leaders. And After a period of searching and struggling with his faith, he says this. He says, I just stopped believing in all of those Christian stories. Mike still has some friends who are Christians, and he admits, though, that his conversations with them usually leaves him disappointed. And at this point, he can't imagine coming back to faith in church. Kelly is a nomad. She grew up in a conservative Christian church. Both her parents are still committed church members. And Kelly describes struggling with an anxiety disorder, never feeling like she really fit in the church. She says, The first strike was the youth group, where I didn't fit in and no effort was made to help me. The second strike was in college, when the campus ministry I attended started talking about quotas for getting people saved. The third strike was the judgment my parents received from their church friends about me. They told my parents that they did a bad job raising me. Kelly, as a nomad, hasn't lost her faith in Jesus, but she's lost faith in church. Nathan is a fighter. When he was a kid, his parents split up, which began this process of wrestling with what he thought he believed. As a lead singer in a successful band, he's often embarrassed by how many Christians interact with and make music And he wants a faith that matters to the way that he writes music, the way he engages with music. And so while Nathan resists much of the baggage surrounding his upbringing in church, he's still fighting for a vibrant faith that will infuse his life and infuse his work. I've adapted all three of those vignettes from a book by David Kinnaman. It's called You Lost Me. David Kinnaman is the president of the Barner Group, and his goal in You Lost Me is to present his research about why so many young people are giving up on church. Of all of the young people within the Mosaic generation or, or millennial generation that have some sort of Christian background, Kinnaman's research has shown that 59% have dropped out of church. Many have lost their faith completely. So that means if you are a 20-something or a teenager here today, you guys, three out of five of you, if you follow this trend, will drop out of church the next 10 years. And almost half of you will lose your faith entirely. That's the trend. My hope is that Warehouse 242 and other churches here in Charlotte will radically buck that trend that 100% of this millennial generation, you guys, will stick it out, continue to belong to Christ and his church 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, your whole life, and that you'll actually be the leaders. That's my hope. And you know, this dropout trend, 59% of millennials, it doesn't just apply to that generation. It applies to people of any age. There's this growing trend among churchgoers of all ages, uh, and they're leveraging blogs and social media to to recount their struggle with faith, to recount um, often this this conversion to atheism or agnosticism or various non-Christian religions and spiritualities. It seems like every week I'm hearing about another former Christian pastor or some sort of celebrity figure, musician that has just given up on Christianity and for sure the church. And each of those stories is, of course, unique. Particular backgrounds, struggles, personalities, all of that. But there's common patterns that have led all of these people to, to this point where they say, eh, I guess that's where you lost me. And the more that we can put our finger on why are people getting to that point? Why are people getting to the point where they're saying, you lost me, I'm out? The more we'll also understand why some people don't consider church in the first place. So the dropout problem is an, uh, also a way for us to look at the, the lack of a drop-in problem. And that's where I think David Kinnaman's research is really helpful, rather than just guessing why this is the case or, or doing our own poll just based on our little demographic. He's got all this research where, he, you know, he thought going into this that I'm going to find a smoking gun. I'm going to find the one thing that is leading 59% of millennials to drop out of church. But that wasn't the case. He discovered this whole web of of disconnections that are leading to this, I guess, where you lost me moment. And it's those disconnections that I'm going to use to form the backbone of this series um, and addressing one at a time as the weeks go go by here. So he identifies six main disconnections. There's probably more, but he's grouped them under these six headings. Now, people are most likely to have in... I guess that's where you lost me moment, when they experience or perceive church as overprotective, shallow, anti-science, repressive, exclusive, and doubtless. So according to all this vast research, Kenneman said these six disconnections are a lot of why people are dropping out dissatisfied with church or keeping them from dropping in. And we're going to be tackling each one of those as we work through the series. And part of that process is to acknowledge guilty. I mean, guilty is charged. We are part of the church as Warehouse 242. We are a church. We have driven people away. We have been unsticky. We're part of the problem. We've dropped the ball. And, you know, if you've been on the receiving end of that, whether here at Warehouse or at another church, uh, it's an opportunity to say, I am so sorry. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You should not experience this stuff in a church. That's not the way church is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a beautiful community, this, this church that's sticky because people want to be a part of the community and don't experience overprotection, shallowness, anti-science attitudes, repression, exclusion, doubtless, all of that. So we're going to be unfolding those over the next seven weeks and I hope you come back and do this journey with us wherever you are in the spectrum of belief and whatever you think of church, your, your voice is really important. I would love to hear your feedback as we go through this, particularly if you are someone who's experienced this or is tempted to drop out of church because of these things. Today, though, I want to start big picture and I want to set the stage for this discussion and, and actually raise the stakes for the importance of this discussion. Kinneman has already helped us set the stage just on a, a sociological level and, and the result of these polls to understand those six main disconnections. but I think it's really important for us to also understand, to set the stage with a biblical vision for what God has intended the church to be, and, and then also a biblical warning to a sleepy, unsticky church. And when I want to be reminded about what the church should be and, and what our calling is, I like to go to the book of Revelation which if you're familiar with the book, you might think, that's weird. Isn't this a book about these prophetic visions and, and these hard-to-understand images? And that's in there for sure, but at its heart, the book of Revelation is not about some distant future that's irrelevant to our lives now. The book of Revelation is about how we should live now as the church, as those who are following the risen Jesus in light of the future how should we live now between the resurrection of Jesus that we celebrated last week and the promises of, of his return in the future? Now, the book of Revelation is, uh, surprise, surprise, a revelation. It's a, it's a vision delivered by the risen Jesus to John, one of Jesus' initial disciples. And John's mission with this vision is to deliver it to all the churches, the churches scattered throughout the, the first century Mediterranean world. And the intro actually says that John is writing to uh, the seven churches. But if you know anything about John, we've just done this series on John's gospel where seven is a, a, an important number for him. It's very symbolic. It symbolizes wholeness and, and completion. So he's not just addressing, addressing seven specific churches. He chose that number intentionally to say, I'm writing to all the churches, the whole church around the world, the whole complete church. Anyone who claims to follow the risen Jesus this vision is for you. This challenge is for you. So the audience is not just these named churches: Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Sardis, uh, but Warehouse 242. Revelation is written to us. And it begins with seven letters to these seven churches, which are, again, letters to the whole church, letters to, to us, to you, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus. And these letters are addressing in various ways that the church has been faithful and various ways the church has been unfaithful. And each letter ends with this phrase, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. In other words, this is important. Listen up, tune your ear to these letters. Now I want to focus on one of them this morning. I want to look at the letter to the church in Sardis, the city that's located in what's now western Turkey. But again, it's us as well. And the letter begins this way. I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. The letter goes on but I want to stop there. This is, this is not a light letter. This is not a flattering letter to the church. There are dense verses and, and I see here an assessment of the situation then an action plan and then a final admonition. We're going to look at those. First the assessment. So here's the situation. You have a reputation of being alive but you are dead. In other words... You look like a healthy church. You, you're active. You're healthy. You're, you're maybe even popular, but I see right through it. Underneath the surface, there's there's really not much life there. It's I mean you're saying the right things, but do you really believe them? You're doing good things, but why are you doing them? Who are you doing them for? You're putting on a good show on Sunday, but. What about the Monday through Saturday mess? You're checking the boxes, but what kind of faith does that require to check boxes? Now, it's really important not to let that assessment and those questions just blow by you. Uh, It's dangerous, I think, to assume that these questions are not relevant for you or for me, if you're a follower of Jesus. So stop pause do some self-examination think about is following Jesus and being part of the church just something external for you something you do something good what other people do or has it penetrated your heart and your desires and your dreams and your passions and your lifestyle a church is only as alive and as vibrant and as effective as the individual people who make up the whole. This assessment and this series, this whole series, it's not just about the church, kind of abstractly as a group of people. It's about you, and it's about me. It's about us. It's about those of us who claim to follow Jesus, claim to be a part of his church, and about the people that we have, whether intentionally or unintentionally, driven away. And what is the vision for what we're actually supposed to be and live this out? Here's how this assessment connects to Kinnaman's research you know, of, the, of the disconnections and the dropout phenomena. If, if people who long for an authentic faith discover that, that on the surface things look good, things are going well, but underneath things are dead, they are gone. If, if you're searching for a true expression of faith, authentic faith, you, you experience this lifelessness, I mean, who can blame people for, for dropping out, for giving, giving it up? Because if this faith doesn't impact everything, then, then it's not real faith. It's just the motions, it's just the culture, it's just... And a lifeless church is an unsticky church, which brings us to the action plan. What are we going to do about it? It says, wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Wake up to everything God created you to be and to do. Wake up to your opportunity to join in God's mission, which impacts everything. Wake up to the truth and the beauty and the goodness of God that that shines through all things but that you might be missing. Uh, Wake up to everything God desires your life to be. Wake up and realize that you've barely started Wake up and and realize that people's lives are on the line. Wake up and realize that we need to be the church. We need to be sticky. So this action plan, wake up, realize what you've received, and align your life with it. Live it out like you really believe it. Which is why verse 3 says, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast. Repent. So this action plan, it's about remembering and clinging to what the church has received, this good news about Jesus' death and resurrection and his launch of a new creation that he has invited us into that changes everything and actively, wakefully, intentionally aligning our lives with that reality. So here's what the action plan says about being sticky. It's, it's the awake and active church. It's the, the gospel-centered church. It's, it's the sold-out-for-Jesus church. It's, it's the tenacious yet humble church that's going to be the sticky church. I just need to step away from this for a second and do a little sidebar and let you know what this series is not going to be about and what, what um, sticky does not mean. So I do not believe that being a sticky church and addressing these disconnections means being a cool, hip, relevant, popular church. Which might be tricky for a place like Warehouse 242 because maybe we have this reputation of being hip or cool or whatever. And to address that, I'm going to use, this is a brilliant book by Brent McCracken. It's called Hipster Christianity. And he has a series of slightly tongue-in-cheek questions to help you identify, are you a hipster church? So are you ready? <laughs> Does the church have a one-word name that is either a Greek word, something evocative of nature, or something otherwise biblically obscure? Warehouse 242. Does the pastor frequently use words like kingdom, new creation, authenticity, and uh, incorporate NT Wright into his sermons? Guilty. Does the church advertise a gluten-free option for communion? <laughs> so true. Do at least two members of the worship band regularly support uh, sport V-neck T-shirts or skinny jeans? I don't know. I, I, I think it's true. I don't know. Has a Sufjan Stevens song ever been performed as worship? <laughs> three weeks ago, yes. All right. So if you've answered yes to all these questions, chances are you're talking about a hipster church. So okay. So we're a hipster church. I'm okay with that. I really am. But <laughs> our stickiness and our faithfulness does not depend on being a hipster church. It's not, that's not what it's about. Um, And I want to read another snippet from Hipster Christianity uh, because I think it connects with this action plan and what it really means to be a sticky church from from Revelation 3. So Brent says, "If, if cool Christianity exists, it's not going to be because we have packaged it and sold it. No, it's rather an organic phenomenon that happens because of the nature of the community that the gospel has entered and transformed. Here's what he's saying. If... Christianity is cool. It's because it's inherently cool. Like, the gospel is the coolest news ever. And it, it has the power to transform your life into the coolest thing ever. And all, all of the stuff surrounding it from our culture or whatever, you can take it or leave it in one sense, but it's a byproduct of receiving and holding fast to the good news of Jesus and living that out in everyday life. Um, and the hipster stuff... You know, it's, it's relevant to the extent that it's a byproduct of the gospel. And I, and I can argue that cultural engagement and artistic excellence and all the things that we value here are a byproduct of the gospel. But you need to keep the first thing the first thing. Does that make sense? That, that's why this being sticky is not about being relevant. Well, it is if that relevance is a byproduct of the gospel. And I'll come back to that in a few minutes, but just to continue in Revelation 3, we looked at the assessment looked at the action plan, and then it ends with this admonition. It's very serious. Uh, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. And it's really appropriate that Jesus is saying this to the church in Sardis because Sardis was this historically impenetrable city. So situated up on high cliffs, big, huge, sturdy walls. And because of that, it also had the reputation of being just a bit lazy. The guards kind of sitting on their hands, having a good time, I mean, no one's going to take over the city. Well, the city was taken over twice. Uh, Once by Cyrus II in 547 BCE, the other time by Antiochus III in 214. Both times because the guards were kicking it back. We're good up here in our little fortress. Uh, They're supposedly impenetrable, impassable walls as the enemy was sneaking up on them. Jesus uses that to say, look, be on your guard. Because I'm going to return and surprise you with my coming just like the city of Sardis was surprised. So don't sit in your hands. Don't assume that your work is done. Don't assume that you have arrived at what God has intended for your lives. Because then my surprising coming will be bad news if you assume those things. Because it, it shows that you don't get it. You don't get the fact that you need to hold fast to the gospel. You can't ever assume that things are just going to continue as status quo, hold fast to the gospel, and be the church, everything God has intended you to be. So again, the wakeful, working church will be the sticky church. The takeaway from all this for me, the, the assessment, the action plan, this warning, is we have a responsibility. All of us who claim to be following Jesus and a part of his church have a responsibility to be sticky, to hold fast to the gospel, to live it out and all of its implications in, in every area of life, this responsibility to, to wake up and to live it out. And just before this, the, uh, the letter of Sardis says, you've left your deeds unfinished in the sight of God. And, and it brings to mind that famous saying that the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't know who said that. It's shockingly relevant. To this topic though because you can talk all you want about loving God and loving other people but what about living that out actually loving God and other people as everything that God requires that's our mission that's our calling as the church so the church that loves not just in word but actually indeed in everyday life will be the sticky church and we have the responsibility to be that And yet, let me throw a wrench in that whole thing. And yet, we can't be sticky enough, ever. (laughs) Because until Jesus returns, we're never going to be perfect. We're never going to get it. We're going to keep turning people away. People are going to continue to reject Christianity in the church because of us and because we keep messing it up and dropping the ball. But God will not reject us. That's the promise of the gospel. Grace covers that imperfection our hope is in jesus who's the christ we're not the christ and the second reason is related why we'll not be sticky enough it's because people will continue to reject the church and to reject christianity over and over again until jesus returns because this good news of jesus for, for before that comes the bad news that we're not the center of the universe that we can't figure things out on our own, that we are not capable of being faithful enough and cool enough. It's not possible for us. And so it's only good news after you've embraced that bad news, which is a creed that has a lot of power in our culture. I am the center of the universe. I am in control. I can do this thing. We're left with this paradox then. And I hope this can filter into everything we talk about in this series. It's this paradox that being sticky is about us, and we're responsible. But yet being sticky is not about us, because Christ is the glue. Christ is the one who has the power to make people stick. That's his work. And he actually keeps everything else stuck together as well. That's actually my paraphrase of of Paul's beautiful words in Colossians 1. I want to read this whole passage. It's about... Who is Jesus and and what's his work? Well, Jesus is the son, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Isn't that beautiful? It's not about us. (laughs) Jesus is the sticky one. Jesus is the one who holds things together. That's why warehouse exists. And we don't have the power to do it without him. Jesus has the power to make us sticky. And, And John actually points to the same truth. You might have missed it. I didn't comment on it yet, but at the beginning of that letter, uh, it begins like this. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. At the beginning of this whole vision in Revelation, uh, John sees this this glorious figure. It says his face is shining uh, as its brilliance like the sun. It's the risen Jesus. And and John collapses at his feet, uh, and Jesus is standing amidst these seven lampstands, and he's holding seven stars. He says to John, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but look. I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys of death and Hades. And then he says, "Write what you've seen." You've seen seven lampstands. Those are the that's the church. I'm in the midst of it. See the seven stars? Those are the angels of the churches. I have them in my hands. In other words, he's saying I'm I am right there in the midst of it. You might think that Churches are all out there on their own, trying to, to make a mark, trying to, to, to fulfill their mission, but I'm in the midst of it all, and you wouldn't exist without me holding it all together. I'm the glue. I'm the first and last. And look, until we settle into that truth, we're not going to be sticky. Until we, we rest on the truth that Jesus is first and last, that he is the one who holds it all together in the middle, it's not going to work. You can try everything and it's not going to work. But once we settle into that, we have this freedom to be sticky, to to live out that responsibility that Revelation 3 talked about of of waking up. So here's the upshot of it all, and I want to state it as, as the paradox that I think is at the heart of all Christian existence. The paradox is this, wake up and be sticky, live it out, wake up and let Christ be the glue. It's both. So let's pray. Lord, thank you for such challenging words in Revelation 3, Um, words that are meant to rouse us, to to wake us up, to get us working, disperse into action. So, I pray that you'd make us really receptive to those. Don't, don't let us pass them by or, or, or think that they're irrelevant to us. Um, but make that challenge really sink in deep to so realize how you are calling us to, to wake up and be who you have intended us to be. Um, and in the meantime, God, forgive us for the ways that we have fallen so short of that uh, our unfaithfulness, for. Our and stickiness, for all of the things we've seen today that have caused people to say no to you. Uh, forgive us for our half-heartedness and um, our lackluster embrace of the gospel. Uh, thank you for your mercy. You cover it. You extend grace to us because of those things. Thank you for the reminder that you are the sticky one. Our hope is in you not us. It's not ultimately about us. And ask that you keep that truth before us as we genuinely wrestle with these topics in the next seven weeks. Help us to not lose sight of it uh, and, and challenge us in the weeks to come to make it about you and not to try to be the hero of the story. So we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last but definitely not least, we're going to be do, doing something we've never done here at Warehouse before. I will be lip-syncing Justin Bieber while performing. <laughs> at my, no, I will not. No, one day, one day. Today, though, whoa! Today, though, uh, we are sending our first staff member ever on sabbatical. Uh, Warehouse has existed for 15, 16 years, and we have never sent a staff member on sabbatical. We believe that is not good. And we have instituted a, a policy for rotating sabbaticals every seven years. Our pastoral staff will be taking up to 12 weeks for rest and for replenishment and for focused research for them to discover what it means for, for them to, to move us forward in our mission. So tomorrow, Mark Dickman's sabbatical begins. He's our pastor of service here at Warehouse. I know. Uh, So uh, there, he's off tomorrow, and he'll be out until early July, which means no emails, no phone calls, nothing. He's out. And he'll talk a little bit more about what he's doing. You, got, you guys can start coming up now. But I think it's really important to, to emphasize this is, this is crucial for us to be doing this because I think particularly because of the burnout rate of pastors or anyone who works for a church. Um, and Mark will admit that he, he had a point in his life where he thought that Burning out for Jesus was the noble path, at least one one noble path, yeah, and um, it's not, it's not what God intends. God intends this rhythm of work and rest, and that's a weekly rhythm, it's a monthly rhythm, it's a sabbatical rhythm as well, and so we're really excited for you guys to do this, and let's hear a little bit more about what you're doing and how we can pray. Combining words from Revelation 3 and Colossians 1 as God's word to us this morning, so receive this benediction. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Put your hope in Christ, the sticky one who holds all things together. Go in grace.